Amen. This morning I want to speak on a topic, and I'm going to, I'm going to title it, Thriving in the Mind of God. Thriving in the Mind of God. So many times we find ourselves surviving that we forget that we're supposed to be thriving. Amen? I know life can throw a lot of stuff at us sometimes that seemingly comes out of nowhere. I know that sometimes we can be going along in life and everything can be, can be going along hunky-dory and just great, and all of a sudden, boom, here comes that curveball that comes and hits you right between the eyes and you think, now where in the world did that come from? And you know, sometimes those things can knock us down a little bit. Amen? Have you ever been knocked down by a curveball? Yeah. And those are, that's not fun. But you know, that's what life is. I'm sorry, that's just what life is. So how do we handle stuff like that the way a victorious Christian should? How do we handle that? And, and maybe we need to first deal with the question, should a victorious Christian ever have to deal with this stuff in the first place? Should we have to deal with this stuff in the first place? I mean, sometimes we become guilted sometimes by our, confidence, or by our own conscience to say, well, shouldn't I be able to faith this out of existence? Shouldn't I be able to just say it's not there? Shouldn't I be able to just deny its presence? Well, you know, in some regards regards guys that's what christian science is they just deny sickness they just deny it can't can't we just claim the promises of, of promises of god to deliver us from this or should we be or should we be praying god can we pray that you would deliver us through this is it a from or is it a through See, I'm not going to argue with your theology this morning. You can, have, you can think whatever you want on that point. But I'm telling you this morning, according to John 16, it says, I have told you, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus does not say in this world you're going to deny your trouble. He says, in this world, you are going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So what he's saying is that I am going to deliver you through your trouble. I'm not going to deliver you from your trouble, but through your trouble, I'm going to deliver you because I have heart. Therefore, we can be thriving in the mind of God. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Let's pray. Father, this may seem like a confusing set of verses here because we are seeing a couple things happening. We're seeing Jesus going to be suffering at the hands of men. And then we hear a man here that's saying, No, God, that's not going to happen. So God, help us as we try to understand what this means. Help us, Lord, to properly acknowledge and understand trouble and how to thrive in the midst of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So what does this passage say to us in regards to our living conditions and our response to living for Jesus in the generation that we're living in? What does this say? What does this mean to you? How do we handle this kind of a passage that seems to have some contradictory things in it? Can we see in ourselves, in our own life, that we have the potential of doing great things for God even in the midst of living in a hard, cruel, and crooked generation? That you have potential to to survive and thrive in that? Certainly Jesus did. He was facing the hardest problem, set of circumstances that any man could ever face. He was going, he was predicting, he was telling his disciples what must happen to happen, what must have to happen to him. Can we also see that in this that maybe we can miss sometimes God's direction in our purpose of being, in our, in our attempt to be well-doing in the kingdom? There's, a, there's some things here we're going to try to talk and suffer through or work through a little bit here. See, I, I believe that, that we're not only able to survive through the difficult times of life by keeping God's mind in the matter, but that we can thrive. I mean, we can actually, we can actually thrive and prosper in the midst of the problems that God allows us to go through in this life as we keep his mind on it. The key is keeping his mind on it. That we're, we're getting the mind of God, not the mind of me, not the mind of man. Let's look at verse 21. He, Jesus, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, Jesus is describing to his disciples the hard times that are coming to him. There are some hard things that are becoming in the life of Jesus. Jesus, imagine this. Jesus, the prophesied one, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the Son of God that performs miracles after miracle for other people, the one that brings hope and peace to the world. He himself is going to go through trouble, serious trouble, to the point of death. He'll have to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders of the day. Boy, that scares me a little bit. He's suffering at the hands of those that should know better. They're the ones that are giving him the grief. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Here, these, these are the ones that are supposed to be leading people to God, are the very ones that are going to crucify God. How can this be? How can it be that they are so blinded? Now, we could spend a lot of time trying to figure that out, trying to justify that. See, there were some people that saw that. There are some people that saw the prophecies. These religious leaders, these are the ones that are supposed to be studied up on Old Testament prophecy. They're the ones that are supposed to have seen all this happen. You go back 30-some years ago, and some people saw it. The wise men saw it, right? So it's not that it wasn't given clearly in the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' coming. The wise men saw it, and they traveled from afar to give him gifts and to honor Jesus as the babe to be the Christ. But here you have the religious leaders of Jesus' day that had the same Old Testament, had the same scrolls, and they missed it. They didn't see it. Rather, they were threatened and they were offended by Jesus' good works because it offended them, because it threatened them in their religion. It, it, it threatened their position 
And so they were offended by that, and their result was, or their, the consequence to that, what, what they thought as the solution to that was not accept him for who he was, but let's kill him, and let's erase him from history, is what they tried to do. And I have to, think, I have to wonder sometimes when I see the blindness that can come into people like that, it just makes me think about my own life. Can I ever be so blinded as that? Can you be ever blinded by your own thoughts? Yeah, I just think it's good that we recognize that blindness happens to people and that we need to be careful that we keep our eyes open, spiritually open to what the Lord is trying to say to us and, and that we, we would just pray that the Lord would have open eyes with us and that we would see his scriptures for what they are, the truth that they are, and that we'd be ever vigilant in maintaining truth above all things that may tempt us differently. That's my prayer for us, me, personally, you, and this church. What was Peter's response to Jesus' declaration of the hard things to come? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. (laughs) Even Peter, one of the closest men to Jesus at the time, was blinded to the real intent of Jesus' purpose on earth. And And it's really interesting, if you go back just a few verses before that, Beginning at verse 13 of the same chapter, Peter was given a revelation by God as to who Jesus was. Let's read that. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And just a few verses later, just a little bit of time later, here Jesus is rebuking Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. So how quickly things can turn, okay? So I'm saying all that just so we know that the human mind is not always set on the the things of God. Here Peter was just revealed by God through Peter who Jesus was. And just a little bit later in time, Peter is totally missing it again. And here's the, point, here's the point. Jesus loved Peter. He never gave up on Peter. You know, we could almost see a cause here for Peter to be booted out of the New Testament. <laughs> but you know, that's not Jesus' word. That's not what he does, does he? And thank goodness, because if he didn't, be, if he didn't boot Peter out, he's not going to boot you out. And he's not going to boot me out. So we have lots of grace here. We're in good company. Why do you suppose Jesus was, his response was so sharp with Peter? When, when Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why do you think Jesus had to react so sharply to Peter? I mean, that's a pretty sharp rebuke, isn't it? Peter probably felt about that small all of a sudden, you know? It would be hard to be rebuked with that kind of a, of, a, of a pointed discussion. Why do you suppose it was that way? 
Well, I think we need to look at the mission that Jesus was on. Jesus was on a pretty important mission in his life. He was at a pretty important crossroad in his life. It was an extreme mission, one that had to be taken very seriously and without question. Jesus couldn't entertain any questions in his mission. Jesus knew how important it was, and he also knew that Satan had every intent on stopping him from accomplishing it. Remember the prophetic statement that was made back in Genesis chapter 3 that declared way back at the beginning of time that there was going to be enmity between Satan and the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So way back then, the battle lines were drawn. Way back at the beginning, uh, after, just after the first sin, there already was a promise of redemption coming. The battle lines were drawn that long ago. And ever since that day, Satan has been at war trying to prevent that from happening. He's been, actually, he's been trying to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his, his, his mission. But we also have a mission. You and I both have a, we also have a mission in our life. And our mission may, may not be as far-reaching as the mission that Jesus had because the mission that Jesus had was to be the Savior of the world. His mission incorporated all men. He forgave the sin of all men because of his death and resurrection. But my mission to me personally is pretty important. Your mission to you is pretty important because you're going to be dealing and I'm going to be dealing with my personal mission. And so we also have to take the same aspect and the same respect as Jesus took to his mission. See, Jesus had to die to his flesh. Did you hear that? Jesus had to die to his flesh. Jesus was flesh and blood. He was like you and me, flesh and blood. He had to die to his flesh, even to the point of physical death, only to the point that he could be, so that he could be resurrected again by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that all men could come back to God through his, through his perfect sacrifice. And we're going to see in a minute here how we also have to die to our flesh as well, and how important it is that, that it's just as serious for us personally that if we're going to face eternity victoriously, we also must die to our flesh, just like Jesus had to to him, to his flesh. Why else did Jesus react so sternly to this point in Peter's life? Well, if we go back a, a bit, we'll see another time in Jesus' life when he was tempted to compromise with earthly things to ease his eternal mission. If you go back to the beginning of his ministry, just water baptized by John the Baptist, then he went 40 days into the desert to be prepared by God for his earthly mission. And the devil came to him three times and tempted him three times to give up his mission, basically. That was the whole point of that, was to, for the devil to get Jesus to worship him. And if Jesus would only compromise with him, the devil would have given him the keys that man gave him of the world. Matthew chapter 4, 18, verses 8 through 10. Again, this is the third time. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, after three times of testing in the desert, after 40 days of, of fasting in his flesh and blood, Jesus was dying to his flesh at this point in time. 
And as, and as hard as it was, here comes Satan giving him a compromise, giving him an easy way out, saying that, you know, you don't have to really go through with this. You know that, don't you? I own the keys. They're given to me. Rightly so. The devil had the keys to the earth at that point in time because of what happened. And he says, I will just give them to you, Jesus, if you just bow down to me, just between me and you. Nobody's got to know about it. Just between me and you. We're all alone here. Just bow down to me and say who I am, that, that you worship me, and I'll just give you the keys. Has the devil ever been in your life tempting you with a temptation like that? Has he ever come to you and said, you know, it's just me and you here. Nobody sees this. Nobody's going to know what happens here. Come on, just me and you. Just give in here a little bit. You see, the temptation that comes there was so subtle. And here's the fact. Jesus understands who Satan is. He's a liar. He's a liar. He cannot speak the truth. So if, if Jesus would have done it, do you think Satan would have given him the keys? <laughs> no. No. He, he wouldn't have given, he would have said, I got you now. Wow. That reminds me in my life when I've given in to that little temptation and Satan says, well, I got you now. Man, oh man, help us, Lord, that we understand who we're dealing with here, that our, our, our adversary is a liar and he's not going to tell you the truth. He's going to tell you a lie only to get you in. He's going to spin the web. Amen. So I can only imagine here, now we're fast-forwarding to this point in time again with Peter. I can only imagine Jesus hearing the words of Satan coming through the lips of Peter with this temptation of compromise and this easy way to get to the end. And therefore, Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. I can almost envision Jesus seeing Satan right there in Peter saying, I've been here before. I've had that temptation before, and I'm not going to deal with it. So right now, I'm going to deal with it get thee behind me. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not even going to dwell on it. I'm not even going to consider it. And that tells me that's a great lesson for me on how I should deal with temptation. Why do I want to even let it come in to think about it and to dwell on it? Why do I even consider the consequences of it? Why would I want to give in? So Jesus' quick and abrupt point of denying this as an option and saying, that is not an option for my mission. My mission is not to take the easy way out. My mission is to walk through everything that I have to walk through so that I can become the perfect sacrifice that I need to be. And therefore, Satan, leave me now and don't come back. It's a train wreck. Right, Rip? These kind of things are going to stop the devil in his tracks. And they're not going to allow us to get any further. And so when I can hear Jesus say, get thee behind me, I need to be able to say the same thing in my life when I have temptations come that I would bring compromise and easy, the easy way out. And I would say, nope, it's not what it's about. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. It's about thriving what I have the mind of God. Why do you suppose, what do you suppose Jesus meant when he said to Peter, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Remember last week when we spoke about heavenly effective or earthly relevance? that we are to have a heavenly mindset in all things, that we are to put the, the lens of heavenliness into our actions. Whenever I go about setting my hand to something of this earth, I'm always to put it through that, that, that lens of, is this eternally effective? Is this eternally good or bad? And I avoid the things that are not eternal. 
I avoid them like the plague. I don't waste my time with them. Rather, I focus in on the things that give eternal relevance. And that's what, that's what having the mind of God is all about. That we don't worry about the things that don't last. You see, the disciples, they were people just like you and I. They were called by Jesus to walk and be a follower of him. And they had families. They had businesses. They had all the concerns of health and strength and life that you and I have today. But yet, when Jesus says, come follow me, what did they do? They dropped everything they had and went and followed Christ because they, they knew the significance of what they needed to do. They were radical in their commitment to follow Christ at all costs. Now, I think that, you know, nobody's asking you to leave your family over this. Nobody's asking you to leave your job. Nobody's asking you to do what the disciples had to do. But yet, in the same way, we have to die to our flesh, don't we? In the same way, don't we still have to look at what's eternal, what's not, and make sure that we're focusing on the godly priority things? Yeah, I think that's okay, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. That we need to focus on how and what we do and how we maintain the concerns of God over merely the human concerns. God has a plan that is eternal. God has a plan that lasts a lot further than my plans last. And my, my, the, the quicker I can grasp that and the more I can absorb that and trust God with his plans and that I will put his concerns over my concerns, you know what I can begin to do soon? Thrive. I can thrive in God's plans. I don't have to merely survive. I can thrive when I'm keeping God's plans my plans. Amen? Yeah, we are to delight in the Lord so that he can give us the desires of our heart and that we are then to pursue his desires as our heart. See, having God's mind, his eternal mindset, helps me understand the things that truly are important as I walk through my daily life. Sometimes walking through the monotony of daily living is hard to do to keep the mindset of God. But when I can put that on, when I can keep that there, it helps us with that. Jesus goes on in the second or the 24th verse of that same chapter in 16. He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know, that's not an answer. That's not, a, that's not a, an answer like most of us want to hear. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, taking up our cross and following Jesus. But I think when we understand better what that means... I think we can much easier embrace it. What, what does it mean to take up our cross and follow Jesus? What was the, first of all, what was the motivation for Jesus to take up his cross? What was his motivation for that? Why do you think he did that for you and me? Yeah, why? Why to be a sacrifice? What did he have for us that was unconditional? Love. The motivation that Jesus had for taking up his cross was love. John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come, he did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to give it eternal life, to save the world through him, right? So Jesus' motivation for bearing his cross was love. It was his proof of his love for us that he would do that. And is it any wonder that our mission in life is to love him back with the same fashion and in the same passion that he used for us? Shouldn't we then bear up our cross for him also because of love? 
And when I look at that, all of a sudden, the bearing the cross doesn't seem so hard anymore because it's really an expression of my love. Because it's, Jesus died because he loved me so much, I'm going to love him so much that I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to love him back. And when we start doing that, it helps us to keep our mind on godly things. It helps us to keep our mindset heavenly when I allow God's love to be my prime motivator, not my own desires. Paul wrote, writes to the, to the Romans in, a, in, in Romans, and he clearly defines what it means, and he clearly defines the significance of having our hearts set on what the Spirit desires. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Do you want peace in your life? Then let the Spirit of God govern your mind. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So when I'm trying to put my concerns over godly concerns, I can't submit to God when I'm doing that because I'm putting myself at the center point. I'm putting myself first. I can't submit to God's mind when my mind is submitting to my own self. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Wow. And then he goes on to encourage the believers in Rome because there were believers in Rome and there are believers in Center Point Assembly this morning and he tells us that we are not limited to living in the realm of the flesh. But when we have Christ in us, we are living in the realm of the Spirit. This is the good news, guys. This is where the rubber meets the road for us that are, that are doing our best, that have Jesus in our heart and our life and that this is where we build each other up. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Amen. Do you see the significance of that? Do you see the power that, that's there when we recognize who's living in us? That we recognize that, that the significance and the power of Jesus is already in you as a person when you accept Jesus Christ as your life. And therefore, when the problems of life come, he is going to help you get through them and you're going to thrive in the process. You're just not going to squeak by. You're just not going to survive. You're going to thrive because you're going to throw it right back in the face of the enemy and saying, I don't care what you're trying to do to me. The power that lives within me is greater because he's, he already conquered you, devil. Therefore, what I'm going through now, what you put in my path to destroy me is going to prosper me because I'm learning to trust in God even more. And so what you're throwing in my face is used to make me better, not bitter. And when I can allow that to happen, when I can let the power of Jesus reign in me like that, there's nothing that can stop me. There's nothing that can stop you as a believer in Christ. There's nothing that can come against you that can be so bad that can take your victory away when you recognize who lives in you. 
So many times the devil comes in and he takes that away from us. He, he, he takes the mindset of us into our, our earthly mindset to think about our problems and rather, rather than thinking about who lives in us. Get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. No, my mind is on godly things. My mind is set on what God has for me, not on what I think of the problem. I get my mind set on godly things, and I let my mind be controlled by his concerns, not mine. And when that happens, watch out. Watch out, because nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to stop this church. Nothing's going to stop us from thriving in the kingdom of God. You're going to be healed physically. You're going to be healed physically. You're going to be healed emotionally. You're going to be healed spiritually. Your finances are going to get better, or you're going to thrive through it. However that happens, however God accomplishes it through you, you may not be Bill Gates, but that's not important for you to be Bill Gates. It's It's important for you to be a thriver in the kingdom of God, no matter what your financial situation is. Let the peace of Christ rule in you because of God governing your mind. I just don't know that we get it. We don't get it sometimes. And this, if the spirit of him who raised me from the dead, do you know what kind of power it took to raise a dead man? Do you know what kind of power that must have taken to raise Jesus from the dead? That same power lives in you. That same power lives in me today. How in the world can I not allow that to rule in my heart? Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. There is no weapon forged against you that will prevail. Nothing. Romans chapter 8, 37 and 38. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in, the, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I think we're afraid of our future. It says that neither the present nor the future. What are you afraid of when you think about the future? What are you afraid of? The unknown, right? You just don't know what's there. But you know, when you keep Jesus there, what's in your future then? Fear comes when we don't allow Jesus to be in our future. Fear comes when we think he's not going to be there for us. Then fear settles in. That's having the heart of man. But when I have the heart of God, when I let the mind of God rule me, rule my heart, there is nothing, including my future, that can bring me fear or stress. See, it's, I think it's now, it's getting easier now to understand that as we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, that we're learning how to do this, that we're learning how to put Christ in our future, learning how to put Christ, as we sang about today, we welcome him in our life. We welcome him in all aspects of our life. And when we allow Christ to hit, be in all aspects of our life, fear has to leave because light and darkness can't be together. Fear would be considered darkness. When light enters the room, what happens to darkness? Where does it go? Yeah, it flees, doesn't it? It, it can't, it's not dark any longer. <laughs> it's not dark. When light comes in, it's not dark. And we do this 
by giving up something that we can't hold anyways. We do this by willingly give up what we can't even hold on to. Continuing on in Matthew 16, 25, and 27, for whoever, wa who, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. See, if you want to save your life, this is how you save your life. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You want to save your life? If you do it on your own, you do it in your own ability, you're guaranteed to lose it. But when you trust in God, when you give him your fears, when you give him all of your concerns, when you put on the mindset of God, that's the way you're going to save your life. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person for what they've done. You see, by us laying down our life, for by us, by me and you, denying our flesh, what we're really doing is we're saying, Jesus, we love you so much that our motivation is the same as your motivation that, went, that took you to the cross, and that's love. And now, because I love you so much, I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to do the things that are godly. I'm going to put my mind on godly things, and when I do that, you are then going to turn around and save my life. I know it seems kind of backward, doesn't it? But you see, that's, that's the way that, that the human mind would think. The human mind would say, no, I better store up all I have. I better hoard it all because I don't know what's coming tomorrow. Therefore, I better not give anything away. I better not give any offering. I better not do this. I better not do that because I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. Therefore, I got to take care of myself. That's the, mind, that's, that's the way my mind thinks. But God's saying, no, you can't even hold on to it anyways because I'm going to take it all. It, it, you, won't, you won't leave this life with it. No matter if you have everything, you're still going to leave it here. So why even go down that path? Why don't you just give it up right now, trust me, and know that I have your best interest in my mind anyway. So if you get in my mind about you, I all, all I have is good things in store for you. I love you so much, I gave Jesus to die on the cross for you. I want nothing bad to happen to you. So just trust me and come in and let's now enjoy each other. Let's enjoy the relationship that I want to have with you right now, starting right now. Jackie, would you come in this morning, and we'll just begin to close up. But you see, this morning is all about relationship. It's all about being willing to give up something that we, co we can't hold on to anyway to gain something that we cannot attain on our own. You know, I, I saw an interesting thing, and I, if I hope I can remember what it said exactly, but the difference between religion and relationship, religion is a man that sits in church and dreams about fishing. Relationship is a man that's fishing and dreaming or thinking about God. So if you're a religious person, <laughs> you're, you're here thinking, 12 o'clock, got to go. Got to go fishing. If you're, a if you're a relationship person, it's all about Jesus, no matter where you're at anyways. You can be on the golf course. You can be fishing. You can be hunting. But yet your mindset is on godly things. That's the relationship side of God. That's what he wants from all of us. And when we can get that into our life, all of a sudden doing, home, doing chores at home is not so bad anymore. All of a sudden mowing the grass or working on my job, all of a sudden when I can know that I can get the mind of God constantly flowing through my mind all the time, knowing that the power that raised Jesus from the dead 
still lives in me, walks through me, talks through me, works through me, manifests itself through me, shows itself to me, through me, all of a sudden now, the evangelist in me comes out. Because now Jesus is being shown in me to others that need to hear it too. It's a good thing. Laying down our life for Christ is not the negative that the devil wants to make it. Maybe we've heard this verse and always thought the negative about it. Taking up my cross and bearing my cross for Jesus is a proof of my love for him. There's nothing negative about that. There's nothing really hard about that unless I don't want to give up my flesh. But as I really find the love of Christ in me, I find it easier and easier and easier to say, Jesus, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. You're welcome in my problems. You're welcome in my failures. Thank you for lifting me up again. Thank you for not throwing Peter out. Thank you for not throwing me out. Thank you for restoring my soul. Amen. This is the message of hope, a message of encouragement. This, this week, as we go through this week, I want us to know that we are thriving in this life. We're not merely surviving. For those that have a survivor mentality, I just want to pray with you this morning as we go that we would just change that philosophy, change that from surviving to thriving. And all of a sudden now, let Jesus then be the leader in your life in a positive way, knowing that his power rests in us, his power will, will, will thrive in us, and we will prosper in the kingdom of God. Amen. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, I will confess that there have been times in my life where I have been driven by the survivor mentality more than the thriving mentality. And so, Jesus, I just ask for your forgiveness of that. I say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the times that I haven't trusted you to the uttermost. I haven't trusted you to heal me, that you haven't, I haven't trusted you to deliver me through the problems. Rather, there have been times, God, where I have looked around my own ways to get around your problems rather than through the problems that you were going to prosper me through and teach me how to be a better person. Teach me how it is to be a heavenly mindset. So God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for the way you restore me. I thank you, God, that you have given us the power that you've given us the same power living within us that, that, that was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. And so, Lord, now I just pray for this congregation. I pray for every one of us here this morning that, that might have had a similar, similar struggle as maybe I was talking about. Maybe understands what I'm talking about. Maybe because they're going through it right now. Maybe there are some here this morning that are really struggling with their self-worth. Really struggling with that I'm just not good enough really struggling with what is God's purpose for my life, really struggling with maybe I haven't been healed or I haven't had this, I haven't had that. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a sense of peace in our heart, knowing that you are delivering us through these situations. Through them we will thrive and we will prosper. Teach us that, I pray. I thank you for your mercies and your grace. Amen. Amen. Jackie, let's get a happy song. What's the happiest song you got? Let's get a song. Let's, let's, let's leave here. I like Scott's I'll Fly Away song. Let's play the bluegrass. I'll, Scott, lead us in bluegrass. I'll fly away, all right? Let's, get, let's fly away this morning, okay? Let's get a little bluegrass.
good day in the Lord.